All right. Welcome, everyone, back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. My daughter the other day heard me doing this intro, and she said, Dad, you sound like such a robot when... uh, You just don't sound like yourself, Dad. You sound like a robot when you're doing your podcast. So I'm trying not to sound like a robot too much. But today, we have Greg Altman on the show. And uh, IT, you know, what's really amazing is as I, as I look over and scroll down through your, your LinkedIn profile, it says 27 years and one month. And that, I mean, that is dedication. But not, it's not dedication so much that amazes me is that how much technology has changed in that amount of time. Did we even have the internet at the company oh. that long ago? No. <laughs> No, we did not. I mean, that just goes to show you the internet is really not, it's not an old thing. And we act like, we act like this is something that has been around um, forever. And I try to explain to my kids like how fun it was to go to, you know, uh, Holden House of Pizza, uh, get a pizza and then go wait in line for an hour to hope to get into the opening of um, Rambo, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you just wouldn't do that anymore and in all the stores that have closed. But anyways, man, welcome to the show. And let's just, let's go back to, um, I guess, 1996. I had just graduated high school <laughs> and you are still working at the same company that you are working at today. So let, let's just, you know, just tell me kind of what it was like back then? Well, I had just moved into IT from our purchasing department. Um, our programming manager basically saw that I was writing macros to do boring, repetitive things on our <laughs> IBM I system. And uh, nice. What about? Well, well, first of all, we have to really describe this because there's oh, yeah, some sorry. people that listen to this show that are like, I don't understand. <laughs> I've literally heard before. Why is the save icon this weird little square thing? Right? Like, why right. is the save icon this square thing? So, just paint a picture of what that machine could do in these macros, and, and you know, just like what was going on. Well, in those days, most of our uh, most of our, the people who worked at a desk uh, were a floor covering company. So, a lot of our people work in the warehouse. They don't have computers at all. Really, they mm-hmm. have little handheld things now. Back then, nothing. Uh, most of our people had dumb terminals that connected to our mainframe system. They didn't connect to anything other than that system, and it okay. ran a green screen program. Yeah. Um, I was still working in purchasing when they decided that maybe we should try this PC thing out, and they put one shared PC per department. And uh, I realized that the, the Telnet program that ran uh, on that PC – Mm-hmm. It connected to our mainframe. You could do macros. So you could basically go through and record your steps and then put a little code in there that would let it re- repeat and loop. And so I had some very boring, repetitive tasks that I had to do every month. So I automated those, basically. Nice. Um, I mean, that's a term we use now is automate those. I mean, nobody was really thinking. What about was the task that you had to do? Just curious. Uh, it was updating... Uh, flooring displays at our customers every every quarter uh one of our suppliers would do a um an update to their product line and we had to send out 
all these updates to all these customers. It was like 150 orders that had 10 line items each. And the only thing that changed between all 150 of those orders was the customer. So mm. basically- How much time did this save you? Oh, it went, it was, uh, it was a week and a half project to go through and manually type in each one. Mm-hmm. And by the time I, I spent about three weeks figuring out how to write the macro. And once mm-hmm. I figured it out, it took the next go around, took about three hours. Amazing. See, so. there's return on investment right there. Anyone that says that IT is a cost center. All right. And I was sold right there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So did you then just out of curiosity on this back in 1996, um, where I believe I still had a 386 with a CD-ROM, which is big time. Yeah. Um, did you um, uh, did you like then take this project to anyone and say, "Hey, look at what I did," or did you just take that time off and sit at the beach? No, I uh, I, I showed my manager who said, "Well, that's that's a." I guess that's something for all that time you've been playing on that thing. Uh, it was very old school. I was skeptical. I, skeptical. Yeah. I, showed, I showed our IT manager and he was like, that's cool. What, 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 what else do you think you can do with that? And uh, it was off to the races. Six months later, I was in the IT department. Nice. Um, I started off working as an, as an RPG programmer on our IBM i mainframe. Uh, it's actually technically a mid-range, but, uh, and I did that for, that was like, actually- Wait, wait, RPG as in role-playing game? No, as in report <laughs> processing generator, I think is what it was, what it stands for. Um, <laughs> so we were playing Dungeons and Dragons at the same time. No, uh, unfor- wasn't nearly that much fun. <laughs> I almost said, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, all right, so keep going. But anyway, that was, that was actually, that was 95, I guess. Uh, 96 was when we started putting more and more PCs out and we um, installed our first Windows server in late 96, I guess. Uh, it was a Windows, I think, I think it was NT4 back then. It was a small business server. It had one of those, one box that had Exchange and SharePoint and IIS and all this mm. stuff built into it. Back in 96? Um, yes, yes. Wow. Okay, so, I mean, um, so you guys were using email or, you know, you were using email back then, like that early or what? 96, that was, that was why we installed that server was so that we could start doing email. Okay. But to give you an idea about the email volume that we had, we would dial into our ISP, download all the email because they would store it all for us. We would download it all and mm-hmm. then we would shut that. Then we would, we would end the connection and then it would distribute the email out to the maybe 10 people in the whole company who had email. So it was still crazy kind of manual. I mean, it's like mail oh, yeah. delivery. It was like, it was like electronic mail that then had to be physically delivered. Like, Hey, just, can just you print about. out, um, can you print out all those emails please? And can you deliver them with the mail to everyone's desk? <laughs> it was it was not much uh, much there was not much removed from that. Uh, as a matter of dial up, did you you said ISP? So I mean, did, yeah, was it dial up or you like, Okay, so no T one or anything like that. Crazy. Not at that point. The T one came later, but ninety eight we we started doing fractional T's, uh, mm-hmm. and then we moved to frame, and then probably frame late ninety eight we late ninety eight we moved to frame relay. Mm-hmm. Um. And people I mean, still have that, believe it or not. Do they? Every now and then, people are still. Every now and then, I'll run into someone that's still on a frame relay. 
oh my God. Yeah, you know, and I, the other day I had a, an emergency. I had like this like emergency one where we we replaced a TDM, like T1 for an old hotel because a lot of hotels have really old PBXs in them still, like like 1970s PBXs because all the hotel rooms are analog and it's a nightmare to recable a hotel. It's, you know, crazy expensive. And so I'm, I'm running into hotels that are scrambling last minute to replace PBXs or, or try to upgrade PBXs to a PRI with a PRI card that can't be upgraded because they're still on a T1 CAS or a 28 channel, like old school analog fractionalized T1 and pretty much like Verizon and in the wind streams and that, you know, like basically the Verizons and the, really the Ilex of the world are drawing, you know, drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know, we're not supporting these anymore. So, uh, you know, March 1st, um, your T1 CAS will no longer work. Like we're just shutting it down, you know, and they've been on these like old PBXs like, Oh man, like what do we do? And I had uh, something come in and it said, you know, like it said like, even the bill, the problem was, was the billing system in these, in these uh, telecom companies can't even like say T1 CAS or, or, you know, it can't even <laughs> describe, it can't even describe what they have. So we all thought, oh, it's a PRI because the bill said PRI. We'll, we'll just order another PRI. No problem. And uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and it was just like, you know, a machine with like a, one of those, like, what are those cone locks, you know, like the, 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 why can't it, the barrel locks, like the machine oh. was like a cage with like a barrel lock, you know, to like get into the PBX, you know, to like unplug. And we're like, no, oh, this ain't going to work. <laughs> yeah, I, have, it was, anyways. I haven't seen anything like that since uh, our old, we had an old Mitel, like a Mitel SX200 mm-hmm. that we finally retired in like, oh, I don't know, 05, 06 mm. when we put it. When we when we went we started doing voiceover over IP in 06, mm-hmm. early 06. Well, that's, noticed- uh, and that's early too. I mean, honestly, back then people were very skeptical, and you still had QoS problems and issues, and the internet wasn't really built for. You know, you had to have MPLS or something, or it wasn't built for prioritization yet. Like nowadays, it's a little, it's a lot different. You can you can kind of. Uh, I mean, you can run like kind of bring your own bandwidth type scenarios and with, with a lot of different providers that, that peer right. But, um, but you know, let's get back to this, this fascinating story, honestly, of <laughs> grows up, honestly, like growing up in IT because it's different nowadays, right? Now oh, God, yeah. people say people, I want to get into IT and, and people say, oh, you got to get an MBA, you've got to get this, you got to get these certifications, you got to get this, this, and this. And that's just not how you grew up in this world. So it's, um, I'm, I'm wondering if there's really any, I mean, how did you end, how are you still here 27 years later? Did you have to get certifications? Did you grow? What's your, what's your thoughts on maybe continuing education and kind of how you, how you've gone along? Well, you have to be a lifelong learner. Um, and the, I mean, I didn't get, uh, I haven't gotten a lot of certifications. I toy with them. Uh, I find that a lot of times by the time that I, set aside work long enough to study for a certification, they're already announcing that it's about to be retired. So, okay, well, I've learned all the stuff. I haven't taken the test. Um, I'm getting better at doing that and scheduling my time for actually taking the test and passing it, working on some Azure certifications right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But the main thing is uh, to be, 
a dedicated problem solver, and a lifelong learner. Um, I would say probably my best skill is the fact that I, I read very quickly and I absorb at a pretty fair rate. So I can skim over stuff and I learned, you know, the best IT skill that I've got, <laughs> it's funny, I just thought of this. Um, I learned from my grandmother when I was in grade school. My grandmother was not very, it was not very educated. And those days, you know, that was what she came up back in the thirties when you left high school to go to work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. My mom and, didn't go to college and uh, I, I mean, I learned everything from my mom, even though my dad's, you know, a doctor, like an MD right. surgeon. So, but my, um, so when you have a seven, eight year old, very curious young man, such as myself asking all these questions, you know, why is the sky blue? Why does this do like this? Why does this do like that? She bought me a set of world book encyclopedias <laughs> and, and my uncle taught old school paper encyclopedias. Yeah. Yeah. Just book, sit there and read from the start to finish. Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my uncle taught me how to use the index and how to look up stuff. So when I would ask dumb questions or questions that she didn't know the answer to or didn't want to bother with, she mm-hmm. would tell me to go look it up. Mm-hmm. And inadvertently, what she taught me was how to research and how to how to 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 filter through things. Because you know, when you do a Google search, you wind up with a gazillion answers. Half of them are wrong, right? Well, half uh, for advertising too. Half for well, marketing. You know, exactly. Actually, probably ninety percent are marketing. 90% of marketing. Um, but that ability to be able to uh, to filter out search results and research results and find answers quickly and, you know, keeping up with new technology um, just at a conversational level. I mean, I'm mm. not an expert at a lot of the new technologies that come out, mm. but when they become relevant to what we do here or mm-hmm something that someone wants me to do, then I can come up to speed really quickly because I've got that conversational basis. I mean, I, mm. I, I know what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned uh, well, a couple of things that are like near and dear to me. One research. Um, what's your thoughts on, on partnering and, and getting other people to help do work for you? Well, it's kind of kind of. In other words, go. team. I'm I, basically yeah. what I'm asking is, is like, what what's your thoughts on the team? And I guess, do you have people on a team? Do you have other people that you work with? Do you have people that a you manage? And um, even if it's not inside, what about you know outside collaboration? I mean, just like partners and right? such. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I do have a guy who works for me. Um, he basically runs the help desk and is. Um, coming along in his IT journey and he's learning more and more about uh, networking and servers and things of that nature. And security, mm-hmm. it, security is kind of a, a place where he's got a lot of interest and he's uh, learning his, you know, learning the ropes basically. Uh, he's been, he's been in IT for probably three or four years. Uh, and again, did not come from a, a tech college or anything like that. Uh, he was, working in our shipping department, but he had that problem solving mentality and that ability to learn quickly. Mm. So it's on the job training. Um, as far as partners and stuff like that, it depends really. Um, if it's something like, for example, we're implementing ring central Mm -hmm. and there's parts of that implementation that 
are one and done. You, you set it up, you do it the first time, and then you don't have to do it again. Yeah. Um, and then there's other things that are, you know, ads, moves, changes, the administrative part uh, that we want to know, we want to have a good sense of because I don't want to have to call somebody every time there's a little hiccup. I want to be able to do at least tier one troubleshooting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the level of knowledge that we like to know. We like Why to don't you want to call somebody? Because <laughs> it's well, because it's faster. A lot of times it's faster. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you. Fast, <laughs> I, I yeah. e time. But yes. let me, in your general opinion, in your general opinion, and I have stats on this. This is what I do. But um, in your general <laughs> opinion, um, what's it like calling a provider? <laughs> You're talking about like a network provider, like uh, an ISP, a telecom provider, an ISP or a telecom provider. What's what's your general feeling about that? Like hitting yourself in the knee with a hammer. <laughs> okay, you know, I really could have shot myself in the foot there. You could have said like, "Wow, we got a great guy." You know, it's awesome. You know, you, call, <laughs> you know, um, I refer to it as calling one eight hundred go pound sand or um, yeah, kick rocks. Oh, and- well, and you're, you're, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, customer service in the communications business in general is the customer service piece is just not there. Hmm. Um, and Why I don't do you know, think that is? Just out of curiosity. I, I don't know. Um, maybe because there hasn't been any, anyone who wanted to step up and say, hey, we're going to be that provider for you. You're talking to him right now. I just want to let you know that. Um, ah, but but you're not a provider, are you? You're a third party, right? Well, I, so my and this isn't where this was supposed to go. Um, <laughs> this, this, this is supposed to be about you. But since you asked, um, I come from I, I, my group. We run it like a law firm. I come from a group of XC levels from the telecom industry. So we're a bunch of C level executives from telecom that didn't want to sell one, any one product. We wanted to be carrier agnostic and we saw the biggest gap being of uh, support. So we're, we're, you know, we're a master agency, um, but we run it more like a law firm where we have managing partners like me and about 12 of us that specifically focus our uh, take about, tw- we take 20% of all of our earnings and we put it into a back office for sales engineering uh, ticket escalation. And then because we sell really so much, I mean, we bill, you know, over 30 million a month because of that, all the carriers uh, give us extra enterprise level support. So whereas one person might typically call like the 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND number um, with us, we're giving you really that, that extra layer of support that you haven't ever gotten. And then while the direct sales reps average lifespan is about eight months, that means your contractual, your contractual lifespan is longer than any perceived personal attention you would ever get from a sales rep whose job is primarily to sell you and get you into the billing process. And then once you're in the billing process, you're calling a butt in the seat inside of a call center. So that's kind of the, like the, uh, the view of, I guess, the, the landscape of the marketplace. Uh, so we're providing that really kind of hands-on um, extra layer of support 
layered with our partnerships with all of the providers. So you still contract direct with the providers um, and you use us and, and you basically become, I guess you call it more like a co-op. I like looking at it as like a co-op, right? Um, we're all, you're, all in, you're all together with our billing and you get all this extra level of support and everything while still contracting directly with them. Um, but believe me, uh, when I call a provider, it's different than when, you know, just general customer who's in the billing process calls the provider, if that makes sense. Um, so kind of like a third party, but not really. It's more like a co-op, I guess, or more of a, a partnership. I like to, I like right. to say partnership. I mean, it's a good word. Now, with that being said, you, uh, when I, I'm reading on your, um, again, reading on your about section, I have also been the principal admin of a Shortel VoIP phone system for over 10 years. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> For all of those people out there that are still diehard Avaya people, diehard Shortel, diehard uh, Mitel, or anyone that really wants to, I guess, uh, water drops on the eyelids or toothpicks and lemon, you know, <laughs> lemon juice on paper cuts and all that stuff, want to get a Cisco call manager and put that into a data center and manage that themselves. Uh, for those people out there, <laughs> what is the difference... I mean, what is the learning curve level? Because you're putting this as a bullet point on what is many people consider a resume, which is LinkedIn. I was right. the principal admin of a short-tail VoIP system. Like, that's an actual thing. Like, that needed a skill. Do you believe that you really need skill nowadays to manage that amazing Ring Central GUI that you just, um, which again, I want to shoot myself because I love Ring Central. I really do. Um, but you contracted with them directly before we even knew each other. So this is not yep. a biased call. I'm just putting that out there, asterisks, not a biased call. Um, you chose Ring Central not an all by <laughs> Exactly. You chose Ring Central all by yourself. So I want to ask you, comparatively speaking, managing the Shortel uh, box in the back room compared to the GUI that you have right now, is there a difference? Yes and no. Um, I mean, the Shortel GUI is very, very good. Uh, the biggest difference is not the user interface. It's not the administrative day-to-day. Uh, -day. Uh -huh. the, big, the biggest difference is the, uh, the hardware. And with hmm. Ring Central, there's not hardware. Um, or if there is, it's just the desk phones. Whereas, I mean, the reason why we moved away from the Shortel system, I mean, our Shortel uh, equipment's 13 years old. It's end of life, and we were going to have to do a forklift on it. So rather than buy new equipment and then still be tied to locations, because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we're based in Texas. Our headquarters is in Houston. Mm -hmm. uh, one good hurricane and our building may be wiped out. And we don't, uh, and having to worry about, oh, well, we've got to have redundant systems and we have to fail over and we have to move, you know, ring, uh, you know, call paths from, you know, 800 numbers ringing here versus there. Mm -hmm. Having to do all of that. Weird IP been, schemes and. Yeah. And, and I mean, VPNs we've been doing it and stuff. We've yeah. been doing it for, we've been doing it for 20 years, but, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's not the world we live in anymore. And, uh, younger, newer users, uh, employees they want to be able to work from their laptop at starbucks if they want to mm -hmm. and uh my goal for 2020 actually it's our a project that we're working on is uh, workforce mobility 2020 nice. and 
all of our customer facing employees will have laptops and you know ring central and headsets and all of this working off of a soft phone so that uh, not just in case of you know a disaster like a hurricane but you know hey my mm-hmm. car won't start this morning but well, fine work from home or yep. my kid my kid's sick okay mm-hmm. work from home mm-hmm. uh, and just that flexibility to where whether the employee works from home or has to come into the office or goes to a different office to work, that mm-hmm. becomes a management decision. It's not technology bound. So technology enables management to make whatever decision they want to make. Flexibility there, yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, but in general, to summarize the basics, um, disaster avoidance, um, CapEx versus OpEx, uh, not depreciating a, a box in the back room anymore. Um, I've been saying for years the PBX is, I mean, is dead. It's a sinking ship. It's sunk. Um, and people used to hate me when I said that. Avaya is a sinking <laughs> ship. The sinking ship is done. Remember those massive, huge Avaya headquarters? I can remember driving by them and like, you know, the hotels and the Hilton sponsored by like Avaya and stuff like that. It's just, oh, yeah. it's not there anymore. And surprise, surprise, um, they just partnered with Ring Central for their cloud offering. So, um, you know, AT&T as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, AT, yeah, AT&T, what's interesting about AT&T is they were wholesaling uh, Ring Central for a while, then went to go do their own thing, and then came back to Ring Central. Then came back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, so outstanding. So, the we grew up in IT. Um, the... We, what was the network like? And, and again, I just, I love reminiscing. What was your network like? Did you have hubs, switches, you know, you were we building had, macros. Do you remember the first day where people, was there like a line that you drew kind of in the sand where people started using, um, where there was kind of like a big difference or something when you guys upgraded some kind of CRM or something like that? Just, I don't know. Just, I want to hear more of the, the past. It was, um, well, first of all, we, before hubs, before switches, all of our, uh, PCs ran on Token Ring, IBM Token Ring, which predates Ethernet. Um, our dumb terminals were on twin axe cables. Uh, and then when, uh, when it became apparent that TCP IP was the big standard that everything was going to be TCP IP, uh, we ripped all that out and replaced everything with Ethernet. And yes, in the beginning, we had hubs. And then we moved very quickly to switches. I mean, we probably only had hubs in place for not even six months. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, yeah, we, we really should have done the switch thing first. So mm-hmm. we, moved into, we moved into switches. And mm-hmm. then as PC prices dropped and the prices for terminals grew, Mm-hmm. And the need grew. Mm-hmm. We started moving more and more people to PCs. Now we, the only dumb terminals we have left, actually, we don't have any. We retired the last one that we had bought in 1999. Uh, we retired it like three months ago. It had mm. been sitting. It had been sitting in a back corner of a warehouse, uh, just as a place for warehouse guys to look up stock. For tell me, you kept it years. Um, actually I did. <laughs> Good. Oof. Do you know how often I just wish I, I, every now and then I find myself searching through the attic of my house in the basement. Like, I wonder if he kept the computer. Is it there? Is it there somewhere? You know, I, every now and then I have like, maybe he put it here. Like I'm looking for this old Texas instruments 
you know, like the Bill Cosby Texas Instruments one. I can't remember what the model number was off the top of my head. Or, or I'm hoping that like that a my, TI-99? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and I'm hoping that my old Apple IIc is sitting around somewhere, you know, like under a bench or something, but it's not. I don't know where it went. Someone got rid of it. Um, I'm going to ask you this. And this is something that I find to be a little bit of an anomaly. I'm assuming the answer is going to be uh, no. But did you have any mentors that made a difference in your technology career growing up? By growing up, you mean when I was when, growing when up I was in the business, here. growing up in technology, the business. Yeah, did you um, have any? Did you have any mentors that like really stick out? And you're like, man, this guy made a massive difference in my leadership or my whatever or whatever it was. Um, a couple, actually. Um, you know, the mentors mentors have a tendency to be there for a season or for a time, a phase of your career. Mm-hmm. Um, our old IT manager, Tim Groff. He, uh, he's the one who gave me the break. He's the one who said, yeah, this, this kid who doesn't have a college degree or anything, but he's got the right brain. I can teach him how to be a programmer. And then when, uh, when technology evolved to the point of our IT department was me and him. Um, and when technology got to the point where somebody needed to manage all these PCs and network and stuff, it was either him or I, and he was a much better programmer than me. And I understood IP a lot better than he did. So it just kind of naturally fell that direction. But yeah, he backed me up um, and encouraged me to learn and to stick with it, even when uh, you know things weren't great. But I mean, because you know everybody has their ups and downs. Um, um, I mean, do you mind me asking what you mean by that? Oh well, you know, you go through those periods where it's you know working for a small company and you're and. You start thinking about, well, maybe I should move on. Maybe I should go somewhere else. Maybe I should just... End, that type of thing. Why am I here? What am I doing with my life? That type of thing. You know, maybe I should... Do, maybe I could go do something that seems more interesting and more exciting than uh, managing servers and networks and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Um, no, he always, uh, he always had my back with, uh, with senior management. And, you know, there's... Everybody makes mistakes. And, uh, I mean, I remember one time where... I made a bad mistake with a with a backup that cost us like six months worth of emails. And I mean, back then it wasn't a, a career ending move, but it was definitely a black mark on my record. I mean, we we hadn't we hadn't had email but like maybe a year and a half, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was like thirty percent of our emails are gone. Uh-huh. So, but you know, mm. that's a, that's uh you know, making mistakes and having the ability to make mistakes and recover from them. I mean, that's how we learn things. So for the first time in my life, I thought about backup last night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and normally I'm just like, yeah, you know, if I lose everything, yeah, screw it. Uh, <laughs> but for the first time in my life, I'm like, you know, if my hosting provider just decides to dump all my podcasts, I've got like two years of recordings and like, and uh, you know, you know, whatever else I typed in, you know, all of the, like all the blog posts and everything. And I'm like, yeah, I've never backed any of that up. And I used to, I just kind of started off doing this as a hobby, but what if it just kind of all just disappeared? What would that mean? You well, know, it's storage, so. storage is so cheap these days. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous how cheap storage is. It is, but it's the setting it up. You know what oh, I yeah. mean? So that, that might be like a deep thought for Jack Handy. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> It's so cheap, well, but why don't you do it? 
Well, you well, know, and, I don't know. And, you know, people set up backups and then they don't, they never test to restore. And then they're surprised when it doesn't work when they try. Well, you know, a backup's not a backup unless you've tested the restore. Yeah. So clearly I am, I'm very transparent about my, myself here. Uh, uh, how about this? Uh, selling to upper management and, or I could also put it this way, uh, end user engagement slash selling to upper management, you mentioned something, I have to reframe this again. Your, your programmer was much better at programming than you, but you were good at networking. So he let you network and he encouraged you. He gave you a break. He always had your back. This doesn't sound like a programmer to me. And the only reason why I say that, <laughs> and, and I'm not trying to stereotype people here, but I am. I'm stereotyping the classic engineer that kind of has this like emotionless, everyone else is dumb and I'm smarter than everyone else type of mentality. And, and the reason why I said that is because I had a, um, I had the, a repair guy come in and repair our, like the little magnetic strip around our refrigerator this morning. And, and my wife, uh, you know, as she checked his job at the end, which she always does, she checked his job, just, you know, like, let's see how the new magnet makes the, the door, you know, stick to the refrigerator type of thing. You know what I mean? She's like, you know, I can feel the magnetism on the left side is stronger than the right side. Now, what do you think a typical, I'm smarter than the world, you know, software engineering type of mindset would say to that? Just, just have it, just take a guess. <laughs> what do you think? I, I mean, don't even know. <laughs> oh, he, this is how he said in the most sarcastic way possible. Wow. Well, you're the first person in the history of the world that can feel magnetism. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, and I think he was sarcastically trying to be funny or he's just having a bad day. I don't know what it was, but it, you could see the look. I'm sitting here, I'm sitting at the table, just like watching this whole thing unfold. Like, wow, I wonder what's going to happen next. And I'm looking at my wife and I, I just see this like look of like, kind of like really pissed look. And then a sad look of, am I dumb? And that quite often is an interaction, this kind of human emotional intelligence of connecting with our end users that we miss and trying to translate from technology nerd speak of things that seem like common sense to us into, um, you know, the, the firewall isn't the reason why the hand dryer in the bathrooms blink is not working. You know, exactly. like, like what's, what's your kind of, uh, I guess, thoughts on that or, or, or tricks of the trade? Well, one thing, um, going back to my mentor, Tim, um, let me just be clear. Part of the reason why he, uh, he put me in charge of the network and the PCs and all of that and encouraged me was so that people would come to me with their problems and leave him alone so he could program. So, so exactly. So he was that guy. <laughs> yeah, he was absolutely. <laughs> um, and the fact that I could talk to him, but yet I could also, I don't want, I hate to say dumb down, but I could translate, translate to non-tech speak mm -hmm. uh, for the end users uh, was that was, I mean, that was a big part of my job in the early years was mm. translating for Tim. I was like the Oracle, you know, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, uh. as far as like selling things to uh, upper management, I have kind of a formula that I do where um, 
I find the biggest thing is that the biggest mistake that we technical people usually make is we come in with, look at this cool technology, look at what it does. It's going to be better than what we have. It's going to be great. Uh-huh. What we don't say is, here's the business problem that this solves. This is where it's going to make us money or save us money. You know, uh, to my CEO, who comes from a sales background, the fact that it's the latest, greatest thing means diddly. He doesn't care. But when I come to him and say, hey, look, um, we moved to Ring Central. It's going to save us this amount of money per year because we don't have to pay for phone lines anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, um, the savings, we're going to use part of that to fund buying laptops for all of our customer service people. And that gives them the flexibility to be able to work anytime, any place irregardless of disasters or power outages or whatever. Now, let me ask and, you this. Right, let's, let's be realistic here. I see these numbers every day, all day, every single day. I do this literally thousands. Your thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the PBX, the short tail, was out yeah. of, it was paid for. Yes. It was paid for. What do you have running in a PRI? PRI going into it? What do you have? Um, we have some, we have a couple of PRIs and we have some, we do still have some old analog circuits, um, uh, you know, local POTS lines running into it. Okay. So those are a ripoff. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you got two PRIs that are like, what, I mean, like maybe 600 bucks total a month or were you paying for local and long distance? I mean, they can't be that much, right? Um, it, well, we've got, so we've got a T1 that runs into, we got a, one that runs into one each that runs into three of our locations. Okay. Okay. So Same. you got maybe three times 300, you know, okay. Um, and then you, then you count in the short, then you count in the, the grand total of like 15 or 20 pots lines. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so for, in your case, it was a savings. Absolutely. But for many people, for example, I had an IT director that uh, brought in Ring Central globally uh, China, India, UK, Thailand, Canada, all across the United States. And he was running his whole thing, his whole phone system, because it's all engineers in the entire organization and they don't talk to people. (laughs) Uh, But there are about 600 people running on, like, literally, like a single PRI in the United States on his open source, you know, asterisk box with Ouch. old school polycom phones. And he's like, you know, it's like a nightmare for him and his staff. Um, but, you know, the Ring Central in Bill in that case was not a savings at no. all. But he still sold it to upper management. So, I mean, I think that, the, hey, we're going to save money and, and we're going to move into the 21st century and be more competitive in the marketplace. I think that's an easy sell. What about when it costs more money? Like, what's the last sale you've had to make where it did, like, the business, there was a business problem and kind of net, net, upfront, CapEx, OpEx was more money, but the soft costs and the, in the savings and the time savings, the saving on labor and the kind of the return on investment was much higher. That was last year when we moved from, we retired a bunch of our, uh, our physical servers. Now we had already virtualized most of the workloads, uh-huh. but we still had quite a few physical servers, you know, that we would move VMs between them. And I mean, they were getting old and they were getting harder to, to, uh, 
they were no longer supported by Dell mm-hmm. and they were getting harder to get parts for. So I sold them on doing a, uh, a pair of small, but much higher end. Uh, uh, they're now they're called Azure stack HCI clusters. It was mm-hmm. basically storage spaces direct. Um, we did a pair of those and I was able to retire like eight physical servers and those things still have room for us to grow on. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it, so it, it costs. Growth, so there was room for growth. We were retiring eight old servers. Um, but what was the argument that they bought into? Was it uh, like, reliability. Hey, like this is out of date. Like, okay. I got you. Got you. Got you. Reli- reliability and, uh, and flexibility. I mean, they, they weren't interested in the power savings or uh, anything like that. But I mean, it was one of those deals. Like, th- here's here's the the business processes that run on these devices. Mm. That if you don't let me upgrade them, I cannot guarantee how you know reliable that these devices are going to be. If something fails, I've got to scramble around and try and find a part on eBay or something. So, do you want to run your business off eBay parts? Mm, I like that. That might be the title of the show. <laughs> uh, business problem solved, or do you want to run your business off eBay parts? Uh, um, I'm, t- I'm taking notes here as fast as I can, because this is really good. Um, uh, anything else in that department? I mean, that's, I always do, uh, I've kind of become infamous with our executive team because I always come to them with a, here's a good, better, best solution to this. Um, and best being, like I said, you know, I whiteboard things and I always start off blue skying it. You know, if money was no object and I had a magic wand that, that, you know, <laughs> that, that wrote bottom. Let me ask you this. Text. Are you a salesperson? No. Yeah, absolutely. You are. Well, hey, absolutely. You are. The funny and, thing uh, we got to get our, we have to get out of this we have to get out of this mindset that salespeople are bad people it's <laughs> uh, criminals are bad people people that lie are bad people people that um deceive are bad people but salespeople are good people because you just did that yeah i mean you just sold it in other words it's about it selling to upper management good better best you gave him an alternative of choice close you know you can buy this or you can buy this <laughs> Yeah. No, no was not an option. Do no. nothing was not an option for you. Well, I do. I, I usually do another slide that this is the cost of doing nothing. Oh, I like that. And sometimes it's in the form of if it's a kind of, if it's complicated, I'll do uh you know, a SWOT analysis, a strength, weakness, opportunity, and uh threat analysis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, you know, that kind of leads into the conversation of, well, what if we don't do anything? Uh-huh. Well, you see all these threats, all these weaknesses that become threats, uh-huh. you know, they become reality. It becomes uh-huh. Tuesday. Uh-huh. I like it. I like it. And then you move into a Colin Powell speech, <laughs> you know, making no decision is still making a decision. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, you say a Colin Powell speech. I really think of that more like a Neil Peart speech, you know? If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. <laughs> oh, this has been great. This has been great. It's a rush reference for all you youngsters. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Um, well, 
It's uh, been uh, been an absolute pleasure. If you had, you know, one piece of advice that you would send to, you know, IT leaders, directors, people kind of growing up in technology, is there anything that, that comes to mind? Never stop learning. Hmm. How do we learn? Read the world book. Read, read the world book encyclopedias. <laughs> the um, my my dad is uh, my my parents are very old and he's getting ready to um, he has two houses he's getting ready to sell one in uh, you know the old house in New England and uh, we're and I was like I don't think selling the house is going to be the problem because he's got a barn and it's kind of like a like horse lovers type of property and that type of thing. But uh, I'm sitting in the living room, with, living room with him while we're having this conversation, and it's just—it's like a library living room, right? All there's no walls; it's all bookshelves, wall-to-wall bookshelves with all these nice. old books on them, and old national, like really, really old National Geographics. Like you look at these things; there's like no, like the cover, like if you pull it out, like the cover is just going to disintegrate, and um, like just some really old books in there, and some really old, old, old sets of encyclopedias. And he's like, I wonder if these things are worth anything. And, you know, uh, I'm like, like, dad, you know, this is going to be the hardest thing, you know, moving all this stuff. He's like, no, we're not. We're just going to call the the 1-800-GOT-JUNK and we're just going to start pointing. I don't know if you've seen that ad, but it's like a a junk (laughs) removal ad. And they're like, just point and we'll get rid of it. (laughs) I'm like, like, this stuff for all we know. He's like, is this worth anything? I was like, I don't know. We'll we'll throw up on Craigslist and and see. Maybe it's, you know, worth like some kind of like ton of money. So for anyone out there listening, if you know anything about old encyclopedia sets and really, really old books, if they're worth anything, uh, you know, from New England in a house that was, I think, you know, 1813 or something like that. I don't know. You know, uh, give me a call. You know, my, my number's on LinkedIn. So, Greg, man, been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you.